Payments are oddly technical. They shouldn't be, but they are. There are about 12 different payment types, and all of them have their own complexity. And so one of the mistakes we made is we tried to tackle too many of them at one time, which caused serious complexity from an engineering standpoint that, that probably cost us a good six, eight weeks in, uh, in our timeline. The learning from that was take advantage of breaking things into smaller bites and set some milestones when those bites should come together. My name is Ben Turner, and I'm the founder and CEO of Veratuity. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart. Today, how Ben Turner assembled microservices and created a best-in-class platform for verified payments. All this and more on Code Story. Ben Turner's grandfathers were both entrepreneurs. One grandfather went to Cornell but ended up buying a fishing boat and then eventually a hardware store. His other grandfather started a grain elevator after World War II, followed by going into real estate. He learned to be blind to risk, which is important in starting something new. Outside of tech, he likes to do outdoor activities like kayaking, mountain biking, and trail running. Ben was a part of a company called Network Solutions, and when they started that company, there wasn't the concept of a payment gateway. To make a solution work, you had many technical hurdles that existed. Two years ago, Ben started looking into how you solve this problem. This is the creation story of Veratuity. We started a company two years ago, and what we focus on is connecting banks, businesses, and payees, so people that receive insurance payments, suppliers that receive payments from, from their buyers, etc., to what we call first-time and on-time verified payouts and intelligent pay-by-anything experiences. And so let me, let me break that down a little bit. We're very intentional with the words we use. So when we talk about connect, that means that our platform, our cloud-based platform, makes it easy for a bank, a business, and a payee to simply connect and interact to make those payouts possible. And when we talk about first time in the world of payouts, you know, your expectation when you're expecting an insurance claim payment or you're expecting to get a commission payment is that it's going to happen the first time someone tries to pay you. The same thing is true on time. So you have an expectation when you should receive that payout the payer, the business has an expectation when they want to make it. So on time could be right now, it could be later today, it could be 20 days from now, but it's meeting those expectations. And then verified, it, you really should make sure that you're paying the, the right amount, the right person, the right payment account. And then finally, when we talk about intelligent pay by anything, the reason we chose those words is as a business, you should be able to choose how you pay someone, whether it's using ACH or using RTP or, or using check. And the payee should be able to choose how they receive that money, whether they get it through PayPal, whether they get it through Zelle, whether they get it right into their bank account. And so to do all that, you have to have intelligence so that neither the business 
nor the, the payee has to make any decisions. And that's, that's our company. The way it got started is it really has roots back to the, the early days of the internet. So I, were, I, I was part of a company called Network Solutions. And when we, when, when, when we started that company, there, was, there weren't the concepts of payment gateways. There wasn't you know, an e-commerce platform you could buy out of the box. There were all these challenges of how are you going to take a payment? Well, those quickly got solved as e-commerce drove those solutions, but that didn't happen on the payout side. And so two years ago, when I started looking around, you know, how do you solve this problem? That's, that's, how, we, that's how we started Veritivity. That's why we started Veritivity. Well, tell me about the MVP for Veritivity, the, the first product you built. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? We started Veritivity with, with a suite of microservices that we had used elsewhere and, and, and assembled those. So the way we built it was it's, it's in Go and it's a, it's a microservices architecture. We basically assembled microservices for each of the interactions that Veritivity handles. So payee verification, payment account verification, choosing how you want to uh, receive that payment, Intera- uh, f- interacting with the payer's bank and funding account. All those are, are independent microservices that allows our platform to give the flexibility that businesses expect uh, when, when, they're, when, they're, when they're interacting with their customers on the internet. So with any MVP, you've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs. And I, you know, given you, you're using some services that you built that you know, fit the different pieces of what you're offering, I'm sure there were a ton of them and how you built it, you know, what you limited the first versions to, and, and even sort of you know, perhaps technical debt that you took on. Um, so tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make and how you coped with those decisions. I'll start with technical debt. I always I find the term technical debt kind of funny for as a startup. The way I look at technical debt, and we just went through this as a company, is if it works, do we really have technical debt? I'm a big believer that you're constantly, once you have a microservice or a function or feature working, get rid of the backlog that's associated with that. You'll find things that you need to do to make it a more stable or to take it to the next version of the product, but it's probably not in the backlog. So that was one of the, the, you know, that had to happen from day one for us to be able to deliver what we called our version one platform, not an MVP, to, to a customer because our first customer was one of the world's largest banks. And so you can't deliver an MVP to one of the world's largest banks. You have to deliver a version one platform. That makes a ton of sense. So you had this big enterprise bank, you know, client, etc., cetera, uh, to deliver to. So you had to build it to where it was going to, to work day one as a version, not a, uh, you know, a, a clunky MVP for, for lack of a better term. That's right. And that's, I mean, quite honestly, that's one of the advantages of using the microservices architecture. And, you know, we, we fully containerized each of the services. It allowed us to deliver the scalability, the security, and the, the, the rigor that, that's required to support a large enterprise. Okay, then, so from that point, you've got your MVP, you, you launched it, well, MVP, you've got your version one. 
and you, you launched it to the enterprise client. How have you progressed the product since that point and matured it? And, and I think what to wrap that in a box, what I'm interested in is how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build. So the version one, we really focused on for things like pay verification. So knowing that you're paying the right payee, knowing you're, you're paying the right payment account, using traditional ways to do that verification that quite honestly, we did back at Network Solutions and Verisign. You just couldn't do it as fast because the technology wasn't there. The version two, it we've we've you know really is driven by how do you change that model for two reasons one it's costly to do verification the traditional way you know where you're you're hitting a lexus nexus or you're reliant on uh, a suite of third-party data the second is it also um, if you think about when you get a Q&A to verify that you are who you are they're asking things like where did you live in first grade or what was your first car? Well, every bad guy in the world can find that data. It's out on the internet. So we focus on how do you really solve for making sure you're paying the right payee? And that was about, and our version two is all about verifying relationships. What's the relationship between the payer and the payee? Can we verify that? What's the relationship between the payee and their payment account? Can we verify that? What's the relationship the payee may have with something else that's relevant? Can we verify that? And that allows us to increase the, the level of fidelity around that verification, but it makes it a lot harder to spoof it, to get around verification. Second part that we focused on is on the payment side or the payout side. And that's really adding intelligence to how the, the payment types are. And the payment type is things like Zelle or ACH or PayPal. But how do you add intelligence to the selection of the right payment type so that you're taking into account the risk of the transaction, you're taking into account the size of the transaction, and you're taking into account the preferences of the payer and the payee. And so that's our version two. And then the road, our roadmap where we're headed in our version three is moving from knowing the payee, knowing the payment account, to knowing the transaction. Because if you know the transaction, you now can deliver with a high degree of certainty the most cost-effective, safest route to pay someone. So let's switch to team, Ben. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? You know, I'm a big believer that building a, a, a business is a lot like putting together a, a sports team. I'm a big soccer fan, big college football fan. And the teams that win get the, the right players in the right place on the field. We focused on that. And the foundation of it was I was fortunate to be able to get, you know, half of, uh, almost half of my, our current team have worked together in prior jobs. And so that's a great foundation. And, and, and kind of when I look at that, I think the reason we were able to do that is, one, we've built a culture that encourages people to want to collaborate, that encourages people to want to win, that encourages people to be a participant and an owner in the business. And, and by doing that, we've been able to you know, not only bring back people we've all worked with before, but that also helps in recruiting. And so, you know, we do, we do a couple of things that are unique uh, as we go to find, find people. 
one, you know, I'm a big believer in having at least a quarter of the company interview any one candidate, whether it's someone right out of college or whether it's someone that has 15 years of experience. Because fit really matters. Just like on a team, you get the wrong player on that field, it, you, you're going to fail. And so we, put, we spend an awful lot of time making sure there's fit from a cultural standpoint. They have the skill we need. They have the diversity of skills that a startup requires. And then they have that drive that says, hey, I want to go win. So then let, let's switch to scalability. And you mentioned this earlier and, you know, touching on microservices and, and how it was built in the beginning. I kind of have an idea of where you're going to go, but I'm going to ask it generically. Did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this at, in any capacity as you grow? So we build it to scale from day one. Right. I mean, we were very deliberate and it took us probably a little longer than, than you would expect to build that version one. But we, we took the time to do that so that we didn't have to pay the cost of fixing how do you scale. So the great thing, as you probably know, in microservices architectures, it's highly scalable, but it's the interaction between those services that can limit your ability to scale. So we made sure that not only were those microservices as efficient and as tight as, as you know, we can make them, but also the communication between those microservices was scalable. With that, how did you architect the communication? What was important about the communication between those services in addressing? How did you layer the blocks of communication? Yeah, so, you know, I'll go back to something I learned when I was at Network Solutions and then then Verisign after they acquired us, is that if you think about never being down, what does that mean you have to do? Well, that means that you have to expect a microservice is going down, but you can't lose the data. You can't lose the discussion between those two microservices or suite of microservices. So as we architected it, we looked for places where we could have uh, built in a methodology that if something was down, we didn't lose that data. It queued, it knew when to keep talking, it knew then when to connect and, and then do the interaction. As you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Two things. One, we spent a a lot of time making sure we understood how to meet the needs of a business or payer and how to meet the needs of a bank. Because in the world of payouts, banks play a central role in providing liquidity and payers are having to interact with their customers or suppliers in a way that doesn't cause friction. So I think one of the biggest things that I'm amazed that we pulled off is we truly have a frictionless interaction. So if you're a payer and you want to initiate a payout, it can be everything as simple as just send us your check file. Even if that check file is being produced out of a cobalt system and space and is space delimited, we'll transform that into a modern payout file. Or you can connect to us via an API and do a real-time transaction. Or you can send us a batch file, you know, you would expect to see in a more modern architecture. We thought about how do you put intelligence at every step of the way? So, you know, version one is basic intelligence, version version two is a little bit more, but that intelligence takes friction out of the process and that lets the network handle it, which 
you know, one of the biggest learnings I ever got in technology was from the original CEO at Network Solutions, who said, why do technologists think about building products where the end user has to make a decision? And so that's what we focused on, is how, did we, how can you build a payout network where the network handles all the decision-making and the complexities? Well, Ben, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. One of the early mistakes that we made was, so in the world of payments or payouts, there are about 12 different payment types. And all of them have their own complexity. And payments, for for people that don't, don't know payments, payments are oddly technical. They shouldn't be, but they are. And so one of the mistakes we made is we tried to tackle too many of them at one time which caused serious complexity from an engineering standpoint um, that, that probably cost us a good six, eight weeks in, uh, in our timeline. I think that, you know, the learning from that was, you know, take advantage of the concept. We like, I like squads, right? So take advantage of breaking things into smaller bites and set some milestones when those bites should come together. You mentioned this a bit earlier with, you know, phase three of of the product and understanding the transaction, but a little more to that and beyond, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? You know, when we look out in the future and, you know, quarter of the vision of our company is literally the way we think the world should work is a business should say how much to whom and when, and that's all they have to do. And the network handles the rest. And that's really why this phase three, know your, your transaction, is so important. Because once we get that, we can make that true. And that will take out costs, that will take out risk, and that will drive up customer satisfaction, both from a payer standpoint and a payee standpoint. Well, let's switch to you, Ben. Who influences the way that you work? Name a CEO, a CTO, an architect, really any person that you look up to and why. I'm a big history guy, so believe it or not, uh, Ben Franklin uh, has a, a big influence on how how I do business or how I think about uh, startups and technology. And you know, kind of the big takeaway when you study Ben Franklin is his ability to constantly keep an open mind and question why does it work this way? Why shouldn't it work that way? Second is, yeah, and we talked about it earlier, is this the original CEO at, at Network Solutions, Gabe Batista, and his philosophy that, you know, why do we make, te- why do technologists make technology complex for the end user? And then, uh, you know, I would say a third is this guy, Bob Korzanewski, who was the CFO at, at Network Solutions. Yeah. He really taught me the value of putting together a quality team it's not just based on skill, but based on the people. Well, we talked about, you know, a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Where would you consider taking a different approach? I think the only thing I would look at differently is our sales model is we sell to banks and help banks sell to their commercial customers. Um, and now we also sell to large payers directly. I would have start. I would have have started selling to large payers directly sooner, for two reasons. One, when we sell a large payer like a, an insurance company, 
they bring their banks with them, so it helps us build our network. The second is they have a higher economic incentive to start putting transaction on the network sooner. Uh, and so I think that that would have just that that would have made the the early days of scaling easier. And you know now we've we've course corrected and we sell to large payers and banks, and we love banks as as a partner. They they they. They have lots of payers that they have to interact with, and they have to be able to provide solutions for. Well, last question, Ben. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? To me, it's simple. It's can you tell me why someone would buy your product? And what is the value you're giving them? If you can answer that, then you're ready to start your company. Go talk to some some who they think their customers are and learn. Like, what is that problem that they need to solve? So I'm talking more, you know, B to B here versus B to C. But you know, that's getting out as an, as you're starting your company, getting out and talking to potential buyers gives you a huge advantage when you launch. So we went out and we talked to over 15 banks. About what we were trying to solve before we launched the the, the company. It's fantastic advice, Ben. Well, thank you for being on the show today, Ben, and thank you for telling the creation story of Veratuity. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.